Recruiting is a beauty contest. Welcome to Everything Fast Pitch, presented by Fast Pitch Prep. Here with Coach Don McKinley, I'm Coach Tori Atchison. Everything Fast Pitch is your place to hear all about the great game of fast pitch softball. Recruiting, fast pitch politics, fast pitch opinion, college news, travel ball news, coaching tips and ideas are all on the agenda. So tonight, we're going to talk about recruiting. Uh, obviously, recruiting is going to be a subject that we get to spend a lot of time talking about. Uh, but what I wanted us to start with tonight is sort of a common thread um, that I've heard um, a, a million times now over all the years. I've, I heard it as a college coach. Um, I heard it all the way back as a high school coach. I hear it now as an instructor and a travel ball coach. Um, you know, recruiting is a big part of why people are playing this game, why kids and families are so committed to playing fast pitch softball. And uh, the, the refrain I keep hearing and the biggest complaint I keep hearing over and over and over again is that the whole thing seems unfair. And um, uh, I guess unfair is, is a, a loaded word, um, but I think that uh, when you think about it, I understand why people feel the way that they do. And so just some, some examples, you know, I ask people, you know, why it's unfair and some of the kinds of things that you hear is, well, you know, my, my daughter is better than so-and-so and so-and-so is going to big school you and my daughter can't even get a look. Sure. Yeah, and, and that kind of thing. You know, we, we've sent so many emails to college coaches and they never come to see her play. You know, we, we spent all this money on travel ball um, to get to all these big exposure uh, tournaments and we still aren't getting much attention from college coaches. And, um, you know, the, the college coaches are never there the days she plays well, but the days she plays well, nobody shows up to see her. And just, you know, a, a lot of different uh, stories like that. Um, and I'm guessing the, the list of um, those kinds of complaints and those kinds of concerns um, could be uh, as as long as you wanted to make it. Well, I know in my case, I guess it's been maybe twenty years. Been doing lessons with uh, you know with student athletes, and uh, in the beginning, almost all of my students got college opportunities. It was rare for there to be even a couple that didn't quite make it or, or, uh, you know, didn't get that opportunity. And I felt terrible for those, those few that didn't make it. But now there's so many kids playing and just the same number of opportunities, but you know, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of more players, um, well, I guess teams and thousands of players that are all searching for those same few opportunities. And, uh, it's just a lot, it's a lot, fewer that are getting that that big chance yeah well and and you do see the growth of college softball to a certain degree um you know there are some new programs in the last couple years duke and now clemson um and other places have have started playing softball um there's still you know an awful long list of colleges that don't play softball that uh, in some cases is kind of mind-boggling to me Um, but that's a whole nother story a whole nother topic um but the number of opportunities in college has grown, but not nearly to the same as level the and the same degree as the number of players. Um, you know, when I first started as a college coach, I firmly believed, and I think it kind of lends itself to you, to your point, um, that if you really wanted to play college softball, you could find a place. And if you really wanted to play and you had a little bit of talent, you could probably find somebody to give you a little bit of uh, scholarship money to help you make it happen. And, uh, um, you know, but that was probably 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago. And it's, it's changed an awful lot since then. Um, now I think I can say without a shadow of a doubt that there are probably five players vying for every possible spot on a college program and it might be that might be a gross underestimation it might be 25 Um, it might be 50 Um, but there's a lot more kids than there are spots for now and so um, the the whole recruiting process has gotten astronomically more complicated Um, and and then you know I think you add to that the fact that uh, um, I understand why parents and uh, and coaches who really care about their kids um, 
are frustrated by the whole thing because it does seem unfair. You know, if, if you're coaching in the Atlanta area or you're coaching in Chattanooga or you're coaching in Los Angeles or whatever it is, and you're, you know, ha- kind of have your finger on the pulse of what's going on and you see enough games and you see some of those really good players and sometimes um, you do see kids that just don't seem to be that great or that much better than the players that you're coaching um, and they've got coaches lined up around the block college coaches lined up around the block to talk to them and uh, you know the girl on your team or your daughter um, whichever it might be um, just can't get that same kind of love and that same kind of uh, um, attention, attention and, yeah. and, and interest and, and I understand why it seems so unfair now the, the one cautionary piece that I throw in there is when you really care about a player or or obviously when it's your child and somebody that you love as much as you can possibly love anything, um, um, our ability to objectively evaluate and colored glasses. Yeah. And, 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 and see where they really do fit in to the food chain can be a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, jaded. Um, and I understand. I mean, you know, I love my son as much as I could, you know, love anything. I'd give him both kidneys and, and a lung tomorrow if he needed them. Um, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. Um, but I'm not the best judge of everything that he does. You know, everything that I see him do, I think, is amazing. Somebody else might look at that same thing. That's and, how it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so I think that sometimes that adds to the level of frustration because in our mind, you know, our child is achieving at a level that is exceptional. Um, but even if it's completely true, even if your child is better than the other kid, the kid that got that scholarship or that's getting all that interest, um, um, I came to a realization here a little bit ago that I think kind of puts this whole thing in perspective, and it's the uh, um, explanation that I've been using to try to help people understand that, yes, it is unfair, and it's it's going to continue, continue to be unfair because the process <laughs> itself just does not lend itself to fairness. And so the analogy that I've started using is that recruiting is a beauty contest, but it's a beauty contest that has no rules. So why is that important? Because a beauty contest, even with rules, is subject to so much variation and so much variable. Um, you know, if, if we're all sitting around, if we've got a room of 20 people sitting around watching the Miss America contest and we're not discussing it, but we're all taking notes, we're all going to pick somebody different. Going to be different, you know, or or fifteen different. You know, we might have you know one or two that you know that that there's some universal um, appeal to, um, but we're all going to come up with a different winner, and. Um, and that's if you have rules, because if you've ever watched one of those pageant shows on TV and you watch Miss America, you know, they've got the um, you know, the interview and then they've got the talent level, you know, talent contest, you know, and then they've got the swimsuit contest and all this stuff. And you add all that up and people are supposed to be evaluating it, scoring it and, and trying to you know make decisions. Um, and, and so that's the, the beauty contest with rules. What is crazy about the recruiting world is it's a beauty contest that has no rules what one person thinks of is beautiful another person thinks of is ugly and uh, even if you have that same person evaluate a player on two the same player on two different days they might have two completely different evaluations it's the wild wild west when it comes to who who's making those decisions and how they're deciding what players are going to be attractive to them and attractive to their program so you might be looking for bat speed or for uh, arm strength or whatever it might be that fits or fits your need at your school. And, um, you know, even though the, the whole package might be looking at player A, player B seems better to me. Right. Well, and, and I think you touched on an important point. You know, I think each college coach is going to have different things that uh, um, that are most important to them. So well, I know it's been a few years since you were out on the recruiting trail, but when you were, what were some of the things that you would automatically pay attention to? 
I think just athleticism. I mean, it's exciting when we get uh, really good athletes uh, that we get to work with every day because it can it can have a huge impact working with players um, on a day to day basis compared to what we do now with lessons. It's tough when we see a player once a week and miss a week here and there for you know whether it's a school or a team practice or something like that. You might get to see them two or three times a month. Um, four if we're lucky but when we've got these really strong good athletic players that we get to work with every day if something doesn't click today we're going to do it again tomorrow if it didn't click the next day we're going to do it again the next day and uh, having those good athletes that consistently um, you can do a lot with with really good athletes so athleticism I think yeah no I think athleticism is a universal um, but let's try to break that down even a little bit more so when we when you thought of athleticism were you looking at size speed quickness power all of the above uh, anything in particular that was more important to you than than something else in looking for a good athlete well doing a lot of the hitting stuff I really loved it when they could hit well or had some power but um yeah you know it, it depended on the the position you know if we're looking for somebody that's going to be a catcher you know somebody that's got more power and if they are athletic that's great as well but um just to to fill each of those positions with you know players that that can get it done yeah well one thing that i think has changed quite a bit in our game um when i first started coaching and of course now you know this will put this all in perspective i started coaching at the high school level in 1977 the very first team that my high school had i helped coach even though i was a junior in school at the time i helped coach that team um so obviously i've been around this game for a long time but when i first started coaching fast pitch fast pitch was the game for the small kid all the big tall kids played volleyball and basketball and you know back in that day in the in in the day um, it seemed like if you were the basketball coach if you had a girl that was six foot tall that could actually run from one end of the court to the other without falling down she was going to be you know a pretty good basketball player and obviously basketball's changed a lot uh, since then too but predominantly the softball teams were an awful lot of kids that were five two five three five four you know quick you know fairly um, you know uh, fairly fast fast um and and it was a small person's game and then uh um something changed um over the course of time and and uh um, while there's still some really outstanding small players smallish players um it seems like small is a different uh definition to it now especially when you're looking at the collegiate level um it seems like uh, a great small player is five six five seven five eight now you're and, and that five foot four girl um is the, the exception, exception. Yeah, yeah is the exception and not that long ago that was the rule and the five eight athlete was the exception and a six foot softball player would have been an oddity sure um at at any level and now you know we're seeing an awful lot of kids that uh um are bigger and stronger and more athletic and i don't know if it's a a gene pool thing or maybe as much as just because there's so many more kids playing that um the athleticism or the size of the athlete and the athleticism has improved um so that the you know the bigger stronger kids are now drawn to softball as much as they used to be drawn towards volleyball and, and basketball well, now it's exciting. I mean, we're fast pitches on ESPN, and the excitement of being a part of that is, like you said, attracting some of those taller, bigger athletes. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously, if, if longer levers, you know, more coverage, more reach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one of our good friends and one of the, the pioneers in this game, um, somebody who was really responsible for the growth of fast pitch in the state of Georgia was Coach Bob Heck. And uh, Coach Heck was at uh, Georgia State back in the early days when uh, fast pitch was still kind of a novelty act and was very responsible um, for seeing the growth of, of the game in, in, in our area here. And uh, I remember uh, sitting at the ballpark with Coach Heck one day and uh um he had started to recruit more and more bigger stronger kids and uh um you know just in conversation we were talking about some things and uh you know i just asked him flat out i said you know why are you recruiting so many big kids and he looked right at me and in his very gentlemanly southern way said a big kid 
if you got two kids that have the same skill set, same ability level, the bigger kid can do things that the little kid can't. And it kind of struck me because I hadn't really thought of it that way. But when you think of it, it's pretty true. Now, and again, I don't want to discourage small players sure. from from playing this game because there's always going to be a place for those kids. Um, but, you know, I, I think that was probably 20 years ago that Coach Heck said that. And back then, the six-foot softball player was still kind of an oddity. Yeah, no, you got you to gotta love Coach Heck. He was, he was awesome and... Uh, Big kids can do big things. Yeah, that, that, that's another way of saying it too. Big kids can do big things. That's 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 awesome. Um, so um, one of the things I'm noticing, um, you know, again helping with the the travel team, I help with uh, Georgia Impact Stewart, which is a really strong team. Uh, you know, we played in a showcase tournament here uh, this last weekend, and. Um, um, one of the things that shocked me in the 16 and under, under age group going through the line to shake hands after the game is over with how many of the players in 16 and under I'm looking up to and I have to reach up to to reach their hands as we go through the line to high five. Um, and, and I mean, I'm just a normal sized human being, but, um, you know, for me to be a five foot 10 inch man and have to you know look up to talk to and, and look in the eye a whole lot of players on a lot of these teams is kind of a, a, an awe inspiring thing. No, it's exciting. Yeah, but so we still have some good kids that are uh, um, not quite that big that are, are doing great thing, doing great things too. But so back to the idea of the beauty contest that has no rules. Um, Coach Heck was one of the first ones that talked about big kids can do big things. So obviously for him, it was probably bigger, stronger, more powerful looking kids. Uh, for someone else, um, it might be um, f- foot speed. For somebody else, it might be bat speed. For somebody else, it might be some combination of all those things. Um, so the the point of the uh, of uh, the story for parents and, and players who are so discouraged because they think the whole thing seems so unfair um, you can't legislate what one coach is going to think is important compared to another you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder and what a different coach is going to behold is going to always be different so um, so that's the first thing that, you know that, that I try to get people to understand is that you know when you talk about a beauty contest that has no rules um, that uh, that you can't really change that you know that human nature is what it is and that people are going to have different opinions um, but now there are some things that I think kids can control that would help sway the contest in their favor a little bit more and uh, um, there's still no guarantee but um, to me if a player makes up her mind that every day she goes to the ballpark she's going to play her hardest and give it everything she's got um, you know to not take a day off or take a play off or taking it bad off um, that that's going to greatly increase the likelihood that she's going to uh, make a good impression in this crazy beauty contest yeah, no, you got to be noticed. And if you're the one hustling, working harder, getting to your position, you know, promptly, quickly, with a little spark, I think you're going to attract some eyes. And then you make that great play, and all of a sudden they're watching you. Right. Well, um, one of the things that uh, I, I try to really drive home is part of being lucky is doing the work. Um, you know, what comes first, preparation or success? Well, I think preparation's always got to come first. And uh, what's one of the things in being successful in the recruiting process is doing everything you can to make sure that those college coaches are aware of you and aware of your interest in their program. Um, sending the emails, uh, calling the coaches, um, sending the schedules, um, playing hard all the time. Um, all those things are drastically going to increase your opportunities in this in this crazy beauty contest and one of the things that uh, is most difficult sometimes is that people want to equate their lack of interest or lack of interest that they're getting to the fact that it's unfair Um, but the sad reality is that some of the reason that they're not getting noticed or getting recruited is because they're not doing the work no they've got to they've got to make sure that they're keeping the the college people thinking about them whether it's an email whether it's a, a letter whether it's a phone call uh you know often i'll i'll talk to kids about 
you know, schools that they've said, you know, we're done recruiting your, your class. And, uh, I said, well, you need to keep in touch with them because a lot of things happen and change on their end. You know, they unknown to them will have injuries or someone will have trouble with grades or somebody will, you know, decommit and decide to go somewhere else. And first thing that they need to be thinking about is you when, you know, because you've kept in touch, you've let them know that, you are the school that you want to be at and they want you there if if uh if you're you know very excited about them so they've got to stay in touch Uh, another story that i use all the time or analogy that i use with with uh families trying to get them to understand the recruiting process from the college coach's perspective first thing i always tell them is to try not to anticipate or think what the college coach is thinking you know to just take care of what you can take care of to do the things that you can do but trying to get them to understand the way i think a lot of college coaches feel about their recruiting um you know that old circus stunt or a, a talent show stunt that they used to have on tv where you'd have the sticks and the plates and you'd spin spinning. the plates and you'd spin the plates and if you kept them spinning fast enough they stayed up on the sticks and you know, you'd have the guy how on many, the stage how many and, can you get and he'd have you know three then four then five then 15 and then one would start to slow down and he'd sprint down to that end and start speeding it up again so that stick you know and, and plate would keep keep moving and he's running back and forth and he's going and going and going and sooner or later one slows down and it crashes to the ground and it breaks into a hundred pieces that's recruiting and so what does that mean for a family or players they're looking at it every one of those plates that you see spinning on that stage is a different player and for the typical college coach that's probably about 40 or 50 plates all spinning at the same time because you've got your current roster which is all the kids on the team right now one of them flunks out one of them quits one of them transfers one of them um, decides to quit playing softball homesick whatever it is crash that plate comes crashing to the ground well if that plate comes crashing to the ground that college coach has got to pick up another plate and start spinning it well the next wave of plates are the kids that are the committed and signed kids the kids are going to be freshmen next year that aren't there yet that's going to be another four or five or six or seven or eight plates and they're all spinning well same thing what happens if she doesn't get admitted to the university what happens if she gets hurt what happens if she falls in love and decides to get married instead of going to college there's a thousand things that could happen boom crash another plate on the ground then there's the younger players that are committed the juniors and sophomores and freshmen and three-year-olds or whatever it is depending upon the school that you're looking at all of those kids that are committed to a school those are the spinning plates another dozen another dozen maybe 15 depending upon how far out a kid a coach is recruiting those are crashing and falling on a fairly regular basis because kids are changing their minds they're decommitting a, a, a coach gets fired or leaves another school and you know and that opens an opportunity another school starts a new program and that opens a different opportunity and kids are in a state of flux so picture that college coach spinning all those plates well when one comes crashing down the best thing you can be is the next plate You've got to be that person, as you were saying, Don, that's been sending the emails that says, think of me, remember me. I want to be part of your program. I want to be at your school. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you interested in me. So even though you said last week or last month or last year that you didn't have a need for my position or me as a player or I wasn't quite the right fit, I'm going to keep working on this process until until there's absolutely no hope. And when does hope end? The minute you start school at a, start school at a different school, yeah. Until then, you know you should keep working that process. If you keep working, if you stay in the beauty contest, and if, if you, that's the school, yeah, that's if, the one you want. Yeah, if if you stay in the contest and keep going back and keep going back and keep going back, you might end up being the one that gets selected. And uh, um, you know a lot of these talent shows now, you know The Voice and America's Got Talent and stuff like that. Um, you'll see somebody come back on the third or fourth or fifth time, and that's when they finally get that breakthrough and end up uh, you know being on TV and being famous and you know maybe getting a music career or whatever it is out of it. Um, you know they stayed in the contest, they kept doing the work. You know so so staying in touch, making sure that if one of those plates comes crashing to the ground, you're the first name that that college coach thinks of is crucial and second part of it is if um, you've been discouraged or or have not been uh, found or discovered by a school that you're really interested in yet you've got to 
to keep doing the work to improve your game. Like I say, you got to keep getting better as well. Yeah, because now if we can tie both of those things together, you've done all the work you can, you've stayed in touch, you keep sending emails, you keep sending profiles and videos and all those things. And as that coach is watching those videos, notices, oh, wait a second, her bat speed has improved. Oh, hey, she is throwing a couple miles an hour faster. Hey, she is getting to that ball in the hole now that she didn't used to get to. Hey, she has lost 20 pounds and she looks a whole lot more athletic. Hey, she's grown three inches and she looks a whole lot more athletic. There's a lot of things that a player can do um, and changes that a player can make um, that if they're doing the work on the front end and making sure that that college coach is aware and then doing the work um, on their game and on their uh, physical abilities and their athletic ability that that can also keep them in the contest give them a chance to all of a sudden become the winner of the beauty contest instead of miscongeniality. congeniality so when we're as a freshman and they're saying our, our recruitment class is closed out how much can you change from the time you're a freshman till the time it's to go to school right and just because you were discouraged when you were a freshman or a sophomore or junior doesn't mean that something would not change again maybe there's a uh, maybe that coach has a pitcher who's a junior all-american or junior all-conference or junior player of the year and she decides to give up softball decides to transfer to another school boom all of a sudden that coach who thought they had no need has a glaring weakness. They got a hole in their in their program that they need to fill, and it's up to you to make sure that they think of you. And First, if you yeah. yeah, and if you do that, um, you know you might still get a chance to win this beauty contest. Now, does that guarantee that it's going to happen? It does not guarantee anything but it's a whole lot more positive and optimistic way of looking at it and honestly it's a it's a better look for you as a player um, to keep your uh, name in the in the in the circle and to keep working hard um, and to keep doing those things because you never know when that opportunity might come knocking and let's say you know push comes to shove worst case scenario um, that opportunity never does really materialize for you at school x well if you've done all those things i guarantee you're making a really good impression on the coach at school x and that coach at school x might pick up the phone and call his friend or her friend at school y or school z and uh you know the the conversation might go something like this don I got this girl. I love the way she goes about her business. I love how hard she works. I love how much she's worked to improve herself and to transform herself and to make herself a better player. She sends me her information all the time. And uh, it breaks my heart that I can't recruit her. But I need to help her find a good place. I need to help her find a home. You know, you and I are good friends. I know you do a great job, and she's the perfect player for you. As I say, Tori, I was. You must have been reading my mind because I was just about to pick up the phone and call you because I had a need, and uh, I, I really need a player just like that. So I'm glad you called, but I was just about to call you too. Yeah, and and that's you know again. So when we talk about this whole thing being unfair, yeah, it is. There's no nice way to say it. The whole thing is unfair, but um, you know, life's not fair. You know, a lot of things are going to happen to all of us in our lives that we don't understand and that don't seem fair. Um, you know, I, I hope that if nothing else, we learn and help our players and our kids learn through this process that uh, just because you can't see the rule book doesn't mean you stop playing the game. You know, and just because the rules might change on you doesn't mean that you give up. You know, you know it's like the umpire that's got a crazy strike zone. You know, just because you know one pitch is a strike one inning and it's not a strike the next inning doesn't mean we stop playing, take our ball and glove and pack it up and go home and, and just leave. I mean, we keep playing and keep fighting and keep scrapping. So, um, you know, so the the recruiting process is it unfair? Yeah, it is. It always will be. There's always going to be things that are not going to make sense. Um, but we're not in a, a, a make sense business when we're talking about recruiting. And so um, uh, there, there's a uh, movie Clint Eastwood movie called Unforgiven. I don't know if you've seen that one with uh, uh, with Clint. Uh, I think he won the Oscar for that one. So you know, it's one of one of his Good best. Oldie. Yeah, and uh, in that movie, um, there's a scene with him and Gene Hackman, and Gene Hackman is being uh, uh, killed by Clint Eastwood's character and. Um, the Gene Hackman character is not very likable, so you kind of think you don't mind. You think, yeah, it doesn't bother you so much. And Gene Hackman, right before he dies, says, I don't deserve this. 
and Clint Eastwood's line is deserves got nothing to do with it. And that's kind of the way the recruiting business is. What you deserve and what you get are going to be two different things. But how hard you work and how much you commit to doing the things you need to do is going to increase the likelihood that something good could happen for you. Are you going to get what you deserve? Probably not. Or maybe not. Do everything you can and then you won't regret. Yeah. And then maybe it will. And so, um, so that's uh, our, our, our look at uh, the, the beauty contest that is recruiting. Um, yes, it has no rules, but we still want you to keep playing the game. We want you to fight like crazy. Do everything you can um, to, to, to win the contest. Um, and if nothing else, if it doesn't work out for you to get to the school that you were dreaming about, it's going to do some things, I think, that will help you find a place and an opportunity. Roughly 37 years now I've been at the ballpark. And um, one thing I've heard every day, every time, every single game that I coached in, that I've watched to recruit, that I've evaluated, has had this ballpark classic. Nice easy swing. Take a nice easy swing or some variation of that. She's throwing hard. She's providing all the power. You don't need to swing hard. Just make contact. Nice easy swing. So, Don, what do you think about that one? I don't know if that's a a way to try and calm down an excited hitter or somebody that's uh, coming unglued or or not uh, giving us good form in their swing. Uh, but again, that's that's something we, it, we work so hard to to develop our swing and have good habits and all those things that when we get a chance to go play, that's our time to shine. And we would love for them to uh, get out there and cut loose and and hopefully with a good aggressive cut, especially with less than two strikes. Um, with a good aggressive cut, we get a chance to really show all of the hard work we've put in and um, hopefully get some really exciting results. So to take that nice, easy swing might get us a smooth one hopper somewhere, maybe punch a ball through the infield. But uh, less than two strikes, you got to get your cuts and get after a little bit. Yeah, so, so let's talk about this, uh, this classic a little bit. So when I hear nice, easy swing, I think it sends a very clear message that you don't need to swing hard or swing the bat fast to have success. Um, and I think you hit on a really important point that I think the origins of this saying come from the idea of less tension, less mental strain, less anxiety, all those things that uh, um, in in some ways certainly would be counterproductive. If a player is tense, if they are you know, choking, for lack of a better word, or, uh, or, or freezing up, that maybe if you do say a nice soothing thing like, nice easy swing, baby, nice easy <laughs> swing, that that might help them with the, uh, with that uh, in the moment, in the moment, in those, in, with those issues. Um, um, but to me, I've got a real problem with it because um, when we say nice, easy swing, here's what a player thinks. I know what I'm seeing. I don't have to swing hard. I don't have to create bat speed. And uh, had a lesson earlier today, and uh, uh, I don't know if this is the first time I created this classic, but this was my uh, thought for the, the day, that bat speed is like money. No matter how much you got, you always want more. There you go. And so, um, and in and, and that discussion with the player that I worked with today, um, we kind of came to the conclusion, and, and she's a pretty sharp kid, and so, so she, she contributed to this. Like, well, if I want the bat to go faster, I'm going to have to work harder. I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, there you go. I knew, you, I knew I liked her for a reason. So, um, so it really isn't the whole idea of hitting, to hit the ball as hard as we can. Without a doubt. And, and if you're the quickest on the team right now with your bat speed or, or with your strength, if you're not working at it to try and get better, somebody's going to sneak up and pass you by. Yeah. And so um, so thought number one is that we're going to get rid of nice, easy swing. Um, if we want to help a player be calm, want to help her be more relaxed, um, we can say a lot of things. 
and there's a lot of things that we can use and, and tools that we can use to help them um, get out of that tense moment that they're in because tension is a bad thing but playing it telling a player to do something physically that negatively affects their ability to perform a skill in our game just doesn't make sense you can't connect the dots between telling them one thing hoping for something else and hope that the first thing that you said doesn't have some impact you know it's it just it doesn't make sense you know, i don't think the brain really works that way so um so even though i think like you said that people are um trying to keep their players from getting tense or you know, potentially trying too hard um you know we, we want our kids to make bat speed we want our kids to hit the ball as hard as they can every single time they hit it yeah, we uh, will often too talk about having a uh, almost like a control dial and a power dial. And if we keep pushing that power dial up, the control dial automatically goes down just a little bit. And as we train and practice, if we don't ever push those limits and turn that power dial wide open um, to the point that we're not under control as much, then we're not going to be able to learn how to control our strongest cut. And we definitely want to be able to show when we get out there on the field, um, put forth our very best cut and, and uh, you know, have learned where that threshold is. But they need to be pushing um, to get the biggest cut they can and still maintain enough control to have good results and good outcomes. And, um, you know, again, nice, easy swing might not get that that mindset started especially with uh you know less than two strikes we get two strikes we might back off a little bit on the power to create more control um and put the ball in play and make something happen but uh most certainly with less than two strikes they gotta they gotta be getting after it when i have a thought that i think kind of plays into this whole nice easy swing idea um one of the analogies that i use all the time is i talk talk to hitters about how most people swing and the way most people perform compared to what we want them to do and what we're asking them to do. And I think most kids hit like their grandparents drive. So let's talk about that for a second. A little too controlled. Yeah. yeah. So you know, may, maybe grandma or grandpa, you know, when the light turns green, you know, maybe they're a little herky jerky. Maybe they step on the gas a little bit and you accelerate a little bit, you know, and you feel that jerk away from the stoplight or stop sign, and you're gaining some speed. And you know, you're gaining some speed, but all of a sudden we get up to twenty or twenty-five or thirty or thirty-five, whatever it is, and we level out. And we, you know, we we go the speed limit, for lack of a, a better way to say it. Or if it's my grandmother, you're going 15 miles an hour under the speed limit. Um, but I think that's how most kids and a lot of people think about hitting. They want to start fast and then cruise. And to me, that's part of the problem. And I think that's part of where this whole nice, easy swing comes from. Um, I don't want my kids to hit like my grandmother drives. I want my kids to hit like Street Outlaws. You know, the TV show they got on Discovery Channel with the guys that race their cars, you know, 200 miles an hour down the down the road. Um, and so um, I've started using that as an example. We don't want them to be, you know, the Sunday drive. Smooth we, and steady. Yeah, we want them to be NASCAR. We want them to be a dragster. We want them to be stomping on the gas and staying on the gas until they can't control it anymore and if you've never done it and and how can you control it and that's the problem so i think kids settle into this idea that swinging like grandma drives you know 70 75 80 percent is going to be good enough and what ends up happening then is you end up with an average hitter with an average to below average bat speed that ends up always being frustrated because even if they make contact the ball never goes anywhere i'm not striking out but yeah I, i make contact you know, it's sort of like when you ride with your grandma. If she's going 15 miles an hour under the speed limit, you feel totally safe. But it's just not very much fun. <laughs> and you know you're not getting anywhere. You know, I mean, you, you, you keep looking at your watch or, or the kids keep looking at their phones, you know, looking at the um, the app that's telling them that this drive that should take 25 minutes is not going to take 45 minutes. And they're getting aggravated because grandma won't step on the gas. So... The, the race car analogy is the one that I've started to use a lot that I think help kids helps kids understand that this easy swing thing is is bogus. And so um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Street Outlaws, but it's on, on Monday nights. I watch it because I'm kind of a gearhead. And so basically these guys take their street cars and turn them into race cars. And, uh, you know, they got, you know, 
<clears throat> nitrous oxide and you know you know turbochargers and superchargers and all this crazy stuff. It's when when they're betting their shoes and the whole bit. Yeah, and and so so they got you know they they got some uh, you know some stake in the game, and so um, when you watch these guys and you see them, you know they stomp on the gas and they stay on the gas and they don't you know they they don't pick up you know the 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 gas pedal until they get to the finish line, and when you watch them. When they're going down the road, they're like on the edge of out of control. You know, they're you know kind of squirreling around a little bit and you know bouncing around in the lane. And you know the cars you know you know got a, a, a like twitch to it because it's going so fast that they're having a hard time controlling it. That's what I think really good hitters do. They're on the edge of crashing. They are on the edge of of losing control. And as they get better at it, they learn to control it again. And so, to me, the message that Nice Easy Swing sends, that it's okay to swing at 70% or whatever it is, but a much less than what you're truly capable of, is really counterproductive for helping these players fulfill their potential. Especially for anybody that's a little bit younger and their strength isn't quite there yet. Um, You know, again, if you're talking college-level players or Olympic players, you know, they're the ones that seeing 70 miles an hour they're the ones that might be able to get away with um pulling off a little bit but when we're younger we need to send a different message and um come out of their shoes come unglued you know all those other pieces that that we hear occasionally that uh might i guess describe what we're looking for a little better yeah well when i work with the young kids um it dates me but i I think some of them have seen charlie brown and I don't know if anybody remembers, you know, the Charlie Brown cartoons, but, you know, Charlie Brown used to um, have the ball would get hit by him so fast that he would go flying through the air and his shoes would go flying off and his shirt would go flying off and he'd end up, you know, just sitting there in his underwear. That kind of feeling of that kind of aggressiveness, that kind of impact um, sort of puts a message in kids' heads that it's okay to swing and come out of your shoes. It's okay to, um, you know, to be on that edge of out of control. And and then, of course, you know, like I said before, you, you definitely will learn how to control it. So, um, but I've got a little bit of a different philosophy, I think, than some. Um, to me, I think there's only one way to really ultimately want to swing, and that's 100%. And I think one of the things that that this uh, thought is so damaging for, again, because it sets people up for thinking that comfortable is good and 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 easy is good. Um, but if you want to make bat speed, if you want to hit the ball hard, you're going to have to do the things that it takes to make that happen. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be um, 75, 80 percent. And uh, um, my thought process is really simple i think human nature has us all settling for about 75 or 80 percent because at 75 or 80 percent i'm comfortable i'm doing my work but i'm not working that hard not digging that deep yeah i'm I'm doing what everybody else is doing so of course i must be doing the right thing because i'm doing what everybody else is doing and 75 you know percent um, also leads to just enough control to consistently make contact and consistently hit a little line drive that you know sneaks its way through the infield once in a while. Um, but the kids that are really exceptional are the kids that are working in that 95% range that are digging deep and really letting it rip and taking that, that swing with everything they can. And uh, so the, the whole easy swing thing, I think, leads to a, a really big problem in training. And I've seen this, and Don, I don't know if you have seen it too, but I see kids that think that it's okay to have different levels of intensity depending upon what they're doing. They have like a T speed, and then they have a soft toss speed, and then they have a front toss speed, and then they think they have a game speed. And they don't need to be the same. Uh, no, they they are. You know, when the, when they're you know, I'm just you know, I'm just hitting on the tee right now. I'm just you know, I'm just doing drills. You know, I don't I don't need to really go hard at it. I'm like, really? Okay, where'd you get that idea? Well, I'm working on a nice easy swing. Okay, and so then we'll you know work on that a little bit, and then all of a sudden you will know, go to a soft toss or something where the ball's moving, and then they amp up the intensity a little bit. But I know already, I can see that it's nowhere near full tilt and well this is my this is my soft toss speed this is you know this is my my soft toss swing i don't want to get too tired because we've got a little more to do yeah absolutely they're 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 saving themselves and so um 
you know, and then they take uh, some, you know, some more swings and some more swings as we work our way through. And all of a sudden, you know, it's it's facing live pitching and now they're trying to amp it up to 100 percent. And so I had this discussion with one of my kids not too long ago. I said, uh, now you realize that you've really been wasting a lot of time. And she kind of looked at me like I you know, was crazy or something. I said, well, all these years you've been practicing four different skills. And she looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, the 50% swing you're using on the tee is useless because you're not using it in a game. And the 80% swing you're using in soft toss has been a complete and total waste of time because you're not using that swing in a game. And the 85% swing you're doing when I do front toss with you in the cage is a waste of time because you're not using that one in the game. So how much are you really practicing the swing you're trying to use in the games. And she looked at me like, in the games. Bingo. Let's do that now. Yeah. And so once she finally, I think, connected the dots on that, now this kid has has made some big strides and really, really taken a big step forward. But... Uh, now, I think it also was a little bit frustrating to her because over the course of time, somebody else who she thought was an expert told her that that was okay or allowed it to be okay. And, um, you know, and to me, that was really troubling, really problematic because I don't think that uh, um, it has gotten her as far along as she could. And now she's you know, become a pretty successful high school player. But I keep thinking if she had been working the right way, you know, putting a little bit more intensity into her work all along, how good she could be. And there's a place for form swings and a setting where you're working on form and technique and stuff like that. But once that's been established, then it's time to, uh, you know, like you said, turn it turn it wide open and let's learn how to control it and continue to monitor the form. But still, we got to go at it full blast. Yeah. Well, and for me, the the only time I do that, you know, the 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 form swings, the the practice swings is. Typically, if it's a very young player who has almost no experience with what we're working on, or if we're trying to go all the way back to square one and change a really bad habit, um, you know, kids that uh, you know bar out the arms and you know, get super long in their swings, you know, I might bring them in and have them working at a you know, much slower, slow motion kind of pace um, for them to to start to get a little bit of a feel for what it is that we're really after and, uh, and a little bit of muscle memory and and those kinds of things. Um, but uh, I, I try to get them back up to full tilt as fast as I can because to me, I think part of the, the beauty of it is learning how to control all those things at full tilt and, and gaining the knowledge and the experience to be comfortable with making adjustments and being able to be on that edge of, of out of control. Well, I think, too, you know, a lot of times we are excited when we get a chance to work with athletes, but the time we spend um, with them is not all that needs to be done. They need to be doing stuff on their own. And I'll often talk to kids about, uh, you know, things that Olympic level people say about training. And one of the things that really hit me was that uh, a statement one of the Olympic uh, athletes said is that you've got to be willing to work hard even when nobody's watching. And that's so when you're at home on the tee, the things that you're doing with your instructors at, at your lessons, you got to go at it the same, the same pace, the same way, um, with the same intensity, the same, um, you know, results desired as, as when you've got people spectating and watching you work. You got to be ready to get after it and um, be willing to, to work hard when nobody's watching. Yeah. No, and I, I agree 100%. And what I'm hoping is that maybe uh, some people listening to this uh, discussion will then take that to a, a much more productive level. It's it's great to have a bonnet and a tee in the garage, but if they're going out to the uh, tee in the garage and taking their tee swing for an hour right, and then expecting that that's going to make them a much better hitter come game day, I think they're smoking crack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it does not make sense. It doesn't it does not add up. Just a nice easy swing, coach. Yeah, nice easy swing. You know, because she's got you know she's making all the power. Well, I've had physics. You took physics in high school, didn't you? Most certainly. Yeah, and I think most uh, most parents have some um, idea of physics, but physics is really not all that complicated when you think about it. And when you think about hitting, 
hitting is a physics problem. It's a math problem. It's mass versus mass, and it's velocity versus Steve. velocity. And you add up the mass and the velocity and put that in a direct competition with mass and velocity. The one that's creating the most wins. Well, pitcher's throwing a ball that weighs six-plus ounces. If she's thrown at 70 miles an hour and you're swinging a bat with a barrel, realistically, the barrel of most of the bats that the kids are swinging is probably 10, maybe 12 ounces of real mass in the hitting area. If that 70 mile an hour, six ounce projectile is not met with more force, the ball wins. And you've seen every, you know, all the time at a real high level that the pitcher just overwhelms some hitters because they don't have the bat speed. They're not getting after it. Yeah, you you almost see the bat bounce back. It's like, uh, you know, there's the old saying. Pushing it around. Yeah. Yeah. uh, um, Do you want to be the windshield or the bug? Do you want to be the hammer or the nail? nail. Um, Well, I want the bat to win this collision. And uh, unfortunately, um, you know, an awful lot of kids are out there driving down the road in a Volkswagen going 25 miles an hour. And then they're shocked when they get into a head on collision with a train and the train wins. Like, oh, nice, easy swing. Oh, wait a second. You just she just knocked that bat right out of your hands, girl. Now, now what are you going to do with that nice, easy swing? No, we're uh, we're at a point where the kids need to learn it early that uh, that they get after. It. And I know another thing is uh, I tease with a couple of the parents about splitting wood. And if you're just going to take your nice easy approach at a at a log, and I doubt that probably any of these young ladies are going to get a chance to split wood. But yeah, yeah I don't think maybe, they've ever seen an axe. Maybe some shin guards on them and some steel toe <laughs> boots, right? Um, but yeah, you learn very quick that you got to hit through it, and uh, you know we we need to you know take that mindset and try and hit through the ball rather than just not get to it and and be super smooth. So. Yeah, and so you know the idea of a nice easy swing. I think uh, hopefully we've we've put that to rest here tonight. Uh, we want you to think about it this way. We want you to win that head-on collision. We want you to make enough bat speed, have enough force in your swing, um, generate enough power um, that that you have a chance to win the fight and win win the battle. And so if if you think that's going to happen with you swinging it nice and easy, seventy-five, eighty percent, um, I think uh, um, if it's working for you now when you get to be nine or 10 it's going to stop working when you get to be 13 or 14 it's definitely not going to work and if your aspirations are to be you know a starter on the high school varsity or a college player someday it's definitely not going to work then let's keep pushing that threshold between power and control yeah yeah and uh um, just like the guys on uh street outlaws if you get used to going 100 miles an hour you'll learn how to control it if you're riding with your grandma going 40 miles an hour, it's pretty easy to control. So um, let's put let's mash down on that gas pedal. Let's give it the gas and see if we can't make a, uh, make something special happen at the ballpark. So so hopefully we've put the uh, uh, nice easy swing to rest. Please don't say it anymore. If you do, look around and make sure that Don and I aren't in the crowd that day watching one of our clients. When you say it, um, whisper it in your daughter's ear. But please don't say it out loud because um, it it always ruins my day when I hear it. So um, if you have uh, questions, comments, ideas, feel free to contact us at Fast Pitch Prep at gmail.com uh, if you want to argue this point with us we'd more than, more than happy to uh, uh, enter into that discussion and uh, see if uh, we can't uh, convert you over to our way of thinking so uh, for fast pitch prep and everything fast pitch thank you